First video vampires episode of 2018. This is, this is Mickey <laughs> and Jessica. Uh, well, let's just dive right in because we have a lot of ground to cover. Um, Jess, what did you see recently? Okay, so the most recent movie I saw that I haven't mentioned yet is Phantom Thread, which is Paul Thomas Anderson and it's Daniel Day Lewis's last film. He's retiring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I. I loved it. This is my top pick for the entire year. Of 2017? Yes. Okay. Of 20, not 2018, because it came out, you right. know, 2017. Got it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I loved it. I think um, it's weird, because I think some people have a misinterpretation of the trailer. Or not misinterpretation, but it's like portrayed as something that is more... Um, romantic than it actually is uh-huh. um i loved it i don't see it as like a romance at all it's more of a a relationship story between this artist and his muse and it's like the a love story about obsession and artistry and and superstition and you know um and obsessive compulsive disorder you know it's it's right. i loved it and it is Really quite humorous for his movies. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought Daniel Day-Lewis was great. I I loved it. Um, go see it. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely on my list of... It's my to-do list for the next few weeks. Um, I also was told that, you know, because Daniel Day-Lewis is a method actor. He always does, you know, extraordinary things. But I guess, like... He went and he made a dress and like right. said he's as he should. I feel like if you're gonna engulf yourself in a character, you should do it. But I thought that was great that he went off and was like, "Well, yeah, he does that for everything." Uh, yeah, that's what gangs in New York. He he only talked. Oh it, yeah, it ca- yeah. And he became an actual butcher or some shit. Yeah, <laughs> um, I saw uh, I saw Lady Bird. Oh yeah, which uh, was I was trying to find something wrong with it. Because it's got so much hype. Okay. Nothing wrong with it. I didn't see it, but an article came out saying it was plagiarized and whitewashed. So I now want to watch both movies. So this article stated that um, it was... Now again, I think there's difference between plagiarism and influence. Yeah. Um, But I don't know because I haven't seen the original movie that this woman is talking about when she wrote the article. Um, It was Real Women Have Curves. It's a... um, Latina movie from the 90s, and they're basically saying that Greta Gerwig stole the story, whitewashed it, and made it her own. I don't know. I haven't seen the original. Here's the thing is that, like, also, Greta Gerwig worked with Woody. I don't know. I have problems. I have problems. Oh, I don't like her. I'm not a big fan of her, but I. I still haven't seen the movie. I do want to watch it, but I I want to kind of watch them in parallel with each other. But it's it's a coming of age movie. I mean, like that's, I know, you that's, know what I mean. Like it's kind of like every coming of age movie has elements of like the same story, the same story, and there. I don't know. I, I here's the thing: is I didn't. I uh, I liked it. I I didn't love it. It wasn't the greatest yeah. thing that I've ever seen. You know, and I don't. I mean. All the hype that it gets, it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a good movie with nothing wrong with it. Like, there's no... Mm-hmm. Plus, Aunt Jackie's in it. Um, from oh, Rose yeah, and, and yeah. And she's fantastic. 
Um, I saw that, and then I saw The Last Jedi. Oh, yeah. I want to just kind of get this out of the way right now um, so we can get to talking about other stuff. But mm. um, I liked Last Jedi. I had a lot of problems with it. Yeah. One of which was being that there was too much comedy in it. It felt like Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know. I feel like that, like, uh, I haven't seen the four, five, and six, or whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. um, in a long time. Mm-hmm. But I remember them always kind of having this, like, really cheeky, dorky humor in them. Only one? No, but yes, you're right. There, there was in the original trilogy, but it was all from Harrison Ford. And he knew when to turn it on and turn it off. So, like, yeah. you could have a serious moment, and it wasn't punctuated with, like, a wisecrack. It was, like, there was, like, there was moments in the original trilogy where, like, you know, like, uh, Empire Strikes Back, uh, Han Solo gets tortured. Mm-hmm. He doesn't crack wise afterwards. He's, like, you know, and you're, like, holy shit, if this guy's fucking, you know. Yeah, I get it. No, I do. I, it is so cheesy at times. I didn't have a problem with what other people had problems with. Yeah. Like, people were like, that's not Luke Skywalker. I was like, that's fucking Luke Skywalker. If you don't have him, his character go through anything, yeah. then what the fuck is the point, you know? Yeah. Um, I like that. I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to steer away from, like, spoiling the movie. Uh, for Adam Driver and his, like, his, his him trying to be, like, a beefcake Darth Vader. I like it! I like Adam Driver. I do not like him in that movie. I like him. <laughs> I like He's that like, I'm hunky Darth Vader, and it's like, shut the fuck up! Ugh. I don't think so. Oh, definitely. He's all like, you know, with his shirt off, and he's like brooding, and he's like, oh, this drove me nuts. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, I did like it. My problem with with the Star Wars franchise or what's happening is that they're uh, they're overdoing it. It's, yeah. it's been overdone. I mean, like, uh, we're going to have a Han Solo movie next. Oh, no, really? A young Han Solo movie, and it's like, why? Like, the whole... For money. Like, yeah, for I know, money. but I mean, like, the whole idea of him being a scoundrel with, like, he turns out to be a good guy after all, that was the whole fucking... I know. That was his whole point I... in... Before George Lucas fucked it up in the 90s, that was the whole point. His point of his character yeah. in New Hope is that he starts off as an asshole and turns out to be an okay guy. I don't need to see another, like, a two-hour movie. yeah. I want to see, like, if they're going to do spinoffs, I want to see, like, I want to see a Lando Calrissian movie because I want to see the story about a guy who went from being a smuggler to, like, yeah. like, running a city. I mean, that's, think about that, think about the political thriller that would be, you know, like. Yeah. Um, that, or I want to see the, the, the drama about the, the Empire technician who, like, doesn't want to work for the Empire, but the benefits are really good, but he's terrified that if he gets fired, he gets choked out, you know? Like, that's the movie I want to see. I don't need to see a young Han Solo movie and just kind of go through all those... And it's like, everybody's getting an origin story, and it's like, God, let people have a fucking imagination. Um, Plus, my other problem with Star Wars, the new one, was that there was too many uh, references to... Like, there was, there was too many dated references. Like, in the yeah. sense that, like, it dates it to this time period, whereas, like, if you watch the other ones, there's, mm-hmm. like, they kind of refer to things and they talk in, in a vernacular that doesn't feel like... It feels timeless. Whereas this one's like, ah, yes. Oh, he's like, oh, don't worry, I'll hold. And it's like, oh, come on, you know? Like, I... Yeah. I liked it. I, I didn't... Mm-hmm. I just... And I don't understand the vitriol, because, like, it's just people who are like, well, I, that's not the Star Wars movie I would have come up with, and it's like... But there's yeah, a reason, of course not. Yeah, and there's a reason why you're not coming up with the Star Wars yeah. movie, you know? Like... <laughs> that's why you live at home. Mm. <laughs> you know? Like, exactly. It's... it's Yeah. But, I um... Yeah, I don't either. But then, uh... I got back from... You know, I got back from Christmas, and then, um... 
I had some friends uh, from out of town come over, and we played the thing board game. Damn it, I want to play it. It's, it is a lot of fun. Um, it needs a lot of people to play. I want to play. Because it, it, it definitely, like, um, I don't know. It, it's, like, first off, it's, like, totally like the movie. I'm kind of mad that you, you played it already. Uh, I texted you saying, hey, don't go back home until after this day when I'm going to play it. But um, it uh, it's great. It's like you you play as it has all the characters from the mm-hmm. movie. Um, it, it it's just it needs more people because it's definitely like a social deduction game, you know. And as you progress and it gets a little bit more tense, yeah. I imagine with more people it would get even more like oh shit, you know. When you play with four people, which is the minimum, um, and you you start off with one person being a thing, um, from the get go, it just kind of um. It, it, I bet you it would be a lot more tense if you had more people playing. So it's definitely, we're going to have to revisit it. But then uh, I showed those same friends um, the Suspiria remake. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. not the Suspiria remake, the Suspiria the re- Restoration, yeah. yeah. And um, it, I just, watching, I, I mean, I bought it. I, I pre-ordered it, you know, when they announced it, before we even saw it at yeah. uh, the Egyptian. And, um, you know, it's one of those movies I realized that, like, I'm not going to be popping on every time, you know? It's even better to show, but it, it's one of those movies like I want to show this to somebody. Yeah. Like, I want to show somebody this cut because, you know, they haven't seen something like this. You know, like they haven't even if they've seen Suspiria, they haven't seen it look this good, sound this good. Um, I mean, I still, I, I still prefer like Phenomena, which I don't know yeah. if we've ever talked about. That's the one with Jennifer Connelly, and it's it, that's my favorite Argento film. It's not, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have the same. Uh, memorable moments as Suspiria in the sense that, like, I mean, come on, that first that first death scene in a uh, murder scene in yeah, like it, in in Suspiria is like a Rube Goldberg device of like murdering somebody. You know, <laughs> it's like, I mean, but Suspiria is one of those movies that I think that if I could skip the first five minutes, I could probably show that to my mother and be like, "Mom, look, it's art." You know, yeah, this is art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. I have to get. I we have to get her past the first like five ten minutes. Yeah, that the first, first murder. The first murder, but then after that, I think I would actually be able to pull it off. Whereas Phenomena, to me, is just like it, it. It's I don't know. It's my favorite Argento film, but uh, yeah. I mean, the Suspiria 4K is just it was showing it's beautiful. Yeah, showing them. Was, I almost want like I don't buy movies anymore on like uh, for disc you know what i yeah, mean like, like you don't buy everything's digital now yeah but i don't i kind i want it <laughs> it's it I mean like i got it at, a, at you know right when it went on pre like pre-order now it's probably fetching for like so much money smoke so much money you know and the the i haven't even like cracked the the lid on like all the stuff on there like it's it's mm-hmm. the dvd it's the soundtrack soundtrack it's like all these documentaries um, That's cool. Yeah, I mean it's it's great, and I mean the only thing I, I've always had a problem with Suspiria is like Udo Kier's in it, like for five minutes. He's that yeah. guy, and they dub over his voice. And I'm like, you've got somebody who's got one of the most memorable voices in like uh, film. Yeah, you know, and like you know he's like in Blade or like um, My Own Private Eye, yeah. and they dub over him with this guy's like this. Uh, it's just so I just thought of that when I was watching it recently. I was like, why? <laughs> why why that voice like for this actor like he's so i don't know um but segueing into our uh, our movie because we're just gonna dive right in you're tired i'm tired and we're just oh, gonna yeah. knock this out um so dario Argento, uh one of his collaborators that he worked with was uh george romero mm-hmm. he, they did dawn of the dead and um you know i love the night of the living dead movies like the original trilogy like night of the living dead dawn of the day of the dead I didn't dislike Day of the De- uh, Land of the Dead. My problem was that, like, it, it always breaks my heart that, like, 
towards the last half of his career, he seemed to only get money to make zombie films. Yeah, but that, I mean, yes, you're right. But that's like, I don't know, supply and demand, man, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that type of movie, especially in those last years, were like big. Yeah. But I mean, like, it, it's, I think the reason why Land of the Dead didn't grab me as much as I wanted it to was because I think of, like, the movies that he was going to do that he never did. Like, that, you know, building up, like, you know, he had done Bruiser, which I really liked, and then there was, like, this gap of time, you know, before he did Land of the Dead. And, like, since, like, 1980-something, he's, like, there's all these different projects that have, like, been floating around that he was going to do. Like, he was going to do uh, Pet Cemetery. Wait, who was? George Romero. Really? He was get, he was originally going to do Pet Cemetery. He was originally going to do The Stand. That would have been interesting. Yeah. I mean, he was like, you know, him and Stephen King were buds, you know. Like, Stephen King shows up in the movie Night Riders, and then they collaborated on Creepshow. But, um, you know, so he was going to do those movies. And he, at one point he was going to do The Mummy. The, like, the, the, yeah. the, the 90s, like, yeah. mummy that they ended up making with Brendan Fraser. He was I gonna, like those. But he was going to do, but here's the thing, his mummy was going to be, like, nothing like that. It was going to be more, I'm like... I'm sure, yeah. And, like... But An I actual good film. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen that, like, um, or yeah, it, like there was a one movie that he had been talking about for a while called, uh, he was called Diamond Dead, and it was going to be a zombie movie, but it was going to be a zombie musical, like, it was going to be about a girl who joins a band, and then, like, the band gets killed, and she brings them back to life. That, to me, is far more exciting than Land of the Dead, because it's like, seen this... This is a whole take on on that that genre that is like so overdone that I would have been really like a zombie musical. That's pretty rad. But I think the the part that really breaks my heart about you know stuff like Land of the Dead is that like I love his non zombie movies. In fact, I would yeah. say my favorite movie of his um, is the one we just watched. Now, a quick backstory: He does Night of the Living Dead. Um, it gets a reaction, good and bad, you know. From but it's a hit, you know. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, it uh. It gets a lot of attention. And then after that, he does a movie called There's Always There's Always Vanilla, right? Yeah. And uh, it's like this weird, like he was trying to do like this weird melodrama. Yeah. And it uh, wasn't good, wasn't successful. He does a movie called Season of the Witch, which is about like a um, like a repressed housewife who's kind of like taking charge, you know? And mm-hmm. they, they, they kind of dabbles into witchcraft. But like, so he's like taking this like domestic drama and kind of throwing in a little bit of horror in there. Yeah. Uh, which will, it's going to be a big part later on. And then um, he does The Crazies, which um, yeah. is basically Night of the Living Dead, but, like, on a bigger scale. And yeah. actually, crazy. the original's great, and the remake with Tim the Oliphant's pretty fucking I cool. I saw in the theater the remake. I I liked it. I loved him as the Oliphant. Yeah, like, that too. dude's fucking rad. So, um, you know, it could have been justified with zombies, and I would have been like, cool. Is that he was in Go? I love yeah. it. Yeah. Scream 2, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Scream 2. Oh, God, that guy. Yeah, he's rad. He's good, yeah. Um, but, then, but, you know, none of these movies are, are successes. And then he decides to kind of, like, scale it back a bit and way a bit, and he does this little movie um, called Martin, mm-hmm. which is what we just watched. And now this one's been, I'd probably say it's my favorite Romero film, and it's since I, I got it on video when I was, like, a teenager. Um, it's a little deceptive. Like, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I was like, oh, this is going to be super scary. And it's not your traditional horror movie, yeah, by any means. But it's this great little, um, you know, independent film that he did. All of his movies were independent up until yeah. Land of the Dead, pretty mm-hmm. much. But um, I mean, when I say independent, I mean like this was like he, you know, super low budget. Um, a lot of people who are in the movie are friends and family. Like Tom Savini shows up. Yeah, this is the first time they collaborate. So young, and they had met years before that. Um, mm-hmm. Before Tom Savini went out to Vietnam. 
George Romero was going to work on a pro was going to do this one film, and Tom Savini was going to work on it or wanted to work on it, but then he ends up going to Vietnam. The movie doesn't end up happening. Mm -hmm. Tom Savini ends up kind of rehearsing for uh, the lead, the title character in Martin, and doesn't get the part, but be but he does. You know, Romero gives him uh, a pretty good, substantial part. Yeah. Um, plus. You know, Sam Savini is a... He does the makeup effects. Yeah. He does he's, stunt. Yeah, he, he's, he's a jack of all... He's a sex machine, man. Everyone he, knows. He's a jack of all trades in this movie. Well, and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is the first time he works with uh, Michael Gornick on DP. Michael Gornick uh, was the cinematographer for Dawn of the Dead, Night Riders, which is, again, a fantastic film. Mm -hmm. um, Creepshow. Um, also, episodes of Tales from the Dark Side, which George Romero produced, you know, um, you know, and then Christine Forrest, who would end up becoming Christine Romero, she plays a, actually like one of the lead characters in this movie, and it's just this little film about, um, a young, like a teenage boy who may or may not be a vampire, um, and, I mean, whether he's a vampire or not, doesn't matter, the fact that he's basically a serial killer is, you know, is what's real, and, uh, but yet he, he's, he comes to this small suburb of Pittsburgh, yeah. um, and he's living with this family member who is, uh, who also thinks he's a vamp, who also thinks that Martin is a vampire, and he's mm -hmm. he's very much steeped in like old world traditions, and um, he's just as crazy as Martin is, just in a completely on like the other said, side of the coin, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think this movie is uh, super sad. I like. I honestly like. I feel it's it's. I like watching it now. I'm glad that I didn't see it until now because. Mm -hmm. It, it definitely parallels even... The, it's, like, kind of timeless. I mean, obviously, it's shot in the 70s. It's very yeah. obvious. Yeah. But that type of relationship with your family, that, like, super religious side, um, like, self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, if someone exactly. has heard that they're a monster from the moment of birth and they become a monster. Exactly. Um, I also like his weird flashbacks or fantasies. You don't know. Um, which is why I like that part so much, because you're like, are these fucking fantasies? Is he yes. crazy, or is this, is this an actual flashback? You yes. Know? So, uh, interspersed throughout the movie, Martin's character, especially when he's, like, on the, the prowl, or when he's going to be on the prowl, he starts having these, like, there's, the movie kind of uh, goes into this black and white, kind of old-timey, like, I mean, as best as they can do with the budget they have of, like, you know is this Martin's past from, like, the 1800s, or is this, like, you know, uh, just a fantasy he's having? And that's what I kind of love about this movie, is that it um, it completely deconstructs the vampire myth. You yeah. know? Um, I, and also kind of... Yeah I, yeah, I like that, too. He wasn't... Like, he, like, there's a scene where he'll be, like, he's about to open a door, and he has this fantasy of, of you know, this woman waiting for him yeah. in the bed, waiting for him to come and basically seduce her, and then he opens the door, and she's, you know, and then, you know, the mm -hmm. reality of what's about to happen, juxtaposed with the fantasy, is completely... Yeah, I do like, there's many points where, like, you you can tell the character's expecting something, and it doesn't at all go right. to plan. And, and what's great, too, is, that, like, it really plays into, like, it, you know, not only does it, like, subvert a lot of vampire myths, but it also kind of, like, plays into them really well. Like, um, you know, whenever, you know, in classic vampire myths, they, like, you know, they live in, like, a dark decaying old castle. Yeah. This town, and this is real, like, this town, yeah. this suburb of Pittsburgh, Braddock, is, um, it was falling, I mean, it is now falling apart, but it was mm -hmm. falling apart, and, you know, the steel mills had closed down, 
all these places, you know, these people there. Like, there's a, there's a part in the movie where Thomas Vini's character is talking about the lack of work there. And you can see all these buildings are run down. They, they go to a church that's, like, been burnt down, you know? Like, yeah. this, is a, this town is falling apart. And in a way, it's its own kind of, like, large castle, you know, of just this decaying. You could almost imagine cobwebs, mm-hmm. you know, metaphorical and otherwise. And then, like, I mean, part of the, other, the vampire myth, too, is that there's, like, you know... Uh, Either you know, it depends on how you want to look at. It. There's either seduction or there's rape. You know, yeah. In a vampire myth, and and yeah. this one, this movie kind of shows the fantasy part and the reality part. But I mean, like Dracula, like you know, the book. Um, you know, there's been historians and psychologists who are like, oh no, this is a metaphor for rape. Mm-hmm. Well, th- this is not just a movie about a kid who thinks he's a vampire. This is about a movie about a guy who's who is. Uh, fucked up in the head and he's yeah. and a lot of what triggers these these episodes is him not being able to handle sex mm-hmm. or like handle feelings about sex you know and like yep. um it's just but it but also the like i said the whole thing too about the family like you know um you know lincoln mazel is like his his mm-hmm. cousin but like more like a grandfather who's just like browbeating him with this like you know this is Incessant, yeah. You yeah, are this. You are this. And 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 what's what's great is there's these moments where Martin is trying to disprove him and basically be like, "There's no such thing as magic." But yeah, he falls into the same delusion. Yeah, that he is. This. Yeah, and it's it's and then Christine Forrest or or the ex Miss Miss Romero plays uh you know his his cousin's granddaughter mm-hmm. who um who doesn't believe in any of this stuff and she's seeing the damage it's having on this kid. But she's also seen this kid's fucked up too, you know? And like, yeah. there's just these so many moments where like he's trying to find ways to communicate with somebody, like have a connection, like whether it's with his cousin mm-hmm. or uh, with this housewife that he ends up having an affair with um, or doing the sexy stuff, which is always the like, oh, makes me like cringe when I know, says that. I know, it's awful. <laughs> um, or, um, or, or it gets to the point where he's just like talking to a late night like radio host, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it also shows how lonely he is. Yeah. Uh, too. So you do person. feel bad for him. I don't feel bad. He's a murderer. You can feel bad for him even though he does terrible things. I don't. <laughs> I do. I think, well, I think that's one of the reasons why John Ambrose... I don't think that everyone who's lonely deserves no. you know, sympathy. <laughs> no, no, no. I agree with that. I agree with that. But I think that like when you when you piece it all together, I mean, here's a guy who's, who's, uh, who's fucked up in the head and instead of getting helped... He gets, it just gets reinforced, yeah. you know, and it, it, like you were saying, it kind of like, you know, it was like, uh, you act like, a, if, if someone treats you like a child long enough, you're going to start acting like one. Well, if someone treats yeah. you like a monster long enough, you kind of end up becoming, when you get a sense that it's not just between, him, you know, this, this dynamic isn't just between him and his, co- his older cousin, it's also, it seems like a family thing, like yeah. they, they've all been kind of ingrained with this. And Christine, Belief, right? Yeah. And Christine Farr's character is like, I grew up with this shit, and I don't believe it, and I think it's crazy, and she just wants to get the fuck out. You're mm-hmm. not just of the family, but also of this like town yeah. that's falling yeah. apart, you know. But John Amplis, who plays Martin, it was just so because he's quiet throughout. Like, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of dialogue, so a lot of it's played off his face. And like, I do, I feel I've maybe it's because I have seen it as a kid, and I didn't like, I was, I didn't, yeah. I didn't have the man, that's fucked up that he's, like, drugging people, specifically women. Yeah, and, then and like, like, touching them. Touching them, and, yeah. and, like, so I think maybe because I didn't, you know, as a teenager, I, I, that the reality of that wasn't so... Clear. Clear. Yeah. Um, or, is like, heavy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's why I'm a little bit more sympathetic to him, but, um, 
I also think that has a lot to do with the performance. I think I think what's great about this is that he got these local actors in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. You know, John Amplis as, as Martin, Lincoln Mazel, Christine Forrest, and Tom Savini. Elaine Nato, who plays Mrs. Santini, the, the housewife, never did another movie after that. This is her one and only movie. And I'm like, she's fucking great. Here's uh, Martin ends up having an affair with this housewife who um, is just clearly fucked up. Like... She's in a marriage that she hates. Yeah. Um, you can you can tell that she's damaged because she's she can't have kids. Mm-hmm. And she feels, you know, like that's something on her, like a, you know? Yeah. And um, she's lonely. Her husband's clearly, I mean, she talks about her husband having affairs. She's just like this, like, hot mess of a character that, like, kind of uses Martin because he's just so... Innocent looking. Innocent looking, but also that he's just so... She says it often, you know, he's like so non-judgmental. He's just... He's yeah, not, he has he no opinion. like his, yeah. Yeah, he has cat. no opinion. He's just like a wallflower, you know, mm-hmm. that like, um, and, and that's the thing is like in that relationship that, that kind of builds between these two, like, that's when I think Martin is kind of sympathetic too. Like mm-hmm. when like she's, after they've had sex and she's, she's crying on the couch and he legitimately thinks he did something wrong or he did something to hurt her and he's like concerned and it's like, oh, he's just a fucking kid. Who doesn't know See, anything? That's weird because I interpreted that scene differently. I thought it was more like he didn't understand rather than he thought he did something wrong. Well, I mean, he doesn't—he doesn't understand that like her problems. I have nothing to do with <laughs> like with anything he's done. The problems are like, and that's what's so great about that that actress. And I'm like, yeah. I can't fucking believe she only did one movie. Really? That this is this it? is it? And wow. Like, um, but like, there's just so many great moments in this movie. Um, the score. Uh, which was done by um, Donald Rubenstein, who is the brother of Richard Rubenstein. Richard mm-hmm. Rubenstein is the producer of Martin and Donald Dead. He's also the guy, remember when Martin shows up to the house with the I'm deaf? Uh, oh, me? yeah. That's the, That's the husband is the producer. And the problem with, like, the reason why Martin hasn't gotten another, like, Blu-ray release or anything like that is because Richard Rubenstein apparently is asking for, like, the world to, uh, for the licensing rights. And I I'll, mean... Yeah. Which sucks, because now that, especially now that George Romero, and this was always George Romero's favorite film of his own, mm-hmm. was Martin, and, um, and uh, you know, especially now with him passing away, like, you would feel like, okay, hey, fucking let somebody release this so people, more people, because this movie does not get a lot of attention. Yeah. Nor is it, excuse me, very well known, and that's a real fucking shame, because it's, it is, like I said, like, this is why I get, I was so, I'm so sad about Land of the Dead, because I'm like, when his his non zombie stuff, this Night Riders, Creep Show, Monkey Shines, mm-hmm. they're all fantastic films, and you didn't he didn't need zombies to to make it you know, um, and it, this movie's so low budget. Like there's like a really great scene. Like I said, it's not a traditional horror movie. Yeah. But there's that great scene where like um, you know uh, Tadakuda's like walking in the alleyway, and there's all that like fog, yeah. and like, and then Martin shows up, you know. Yeah, I like that. That's a really creepy scene. And I remember as a kid, it really bothered me. And a lot of that has to do with Donald Rubenside's score, which is really, really awesome in that in that scene. But also, what did they have for that? They had, aside from the camera equipment and the sound equipment, they had a playground, a fog machine, and makeup. Yeah. And that seems really creepy and done really well. And then the uh, the last, like kind of like the, the, ch- the last chase scene of the movie... Um, is really reminiscent of what he will do with Dawn of the Dead a year later with the mall, like, at the end when the bikers break in uh-huh. and there's all the help. I mean, that, that ending where, like, people are getting shot. Yeah, and, like, that was... And, yeah. and you're like, what fucking you're movie like, what? is this? What's happening? Yeah. Holy shit. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, like I said, it's a great movie that, like, subverts 
and kind of like plays up into the vampire myth and um but also tells like this really fucking sad drama of like this this fucking messed up kid who kills people and um yeah. I don't know. I, I just think that like considering some of the other movies that we've seen not just for this podcast, I just mean in general. Mm-hmm. You know, like I see people, like people will jerk off over American Psycho, be like, I fucking love it. And it's like, see, that to me is more fucked up than something like this where it's like, I feel like the character, there's enough relatable qualities. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh man, like this poor fucking kid. But also, what a fucking monster, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that juxtaposition is really interesting when you can take somebody and you can make, you can. Have a character do terrible things. It's like um, uh, De Niro in Raging Bull. Yeah. Terrible, terrible human being, but yet you're kind of drawn to him and you're you're somewhat sympathetic when, like, he loses everything, even though he's the reason why. He lost everything. He lost yeah. everything. So this has always been a favorite of mine. Like I said, Donald Rubenstein's score is amazing. It's on, it's on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Um, a book just came out. Well, not just came out. It came out last year. Um, is a... British press, um, I have it in my bag. Yeah? Yeah, it's, uh, here. It's, uh, this, this book here, and it's, it's by, uh, Jez Winship, and it was, uh, it's from a publishing company called Electric Dreamhouse, and they're doing a series of books on, on movies, and, and oh, this really? one's specifically about Martin, and, uh, it's a little, it gets a little over-analytical, you know, I mean, there's a little... I mean, people also love... Overdoing it. I feel like you showed this to me before. I just got it before, we, like oh, after really? we yeah. I, uh, I got it when I got your uh, your Christmas present. Oh my Christmas! When your Christmas present came in the mail, I was like, you know, one for them, one for me. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, and I got that, and I was reading it during the break and everything. And then, like I said, it gets a little like too. It can get a little eggheaded, and I mean that in a good way. Yeah. Um, I mean, but it's a really fascinating book that gives you like some insight on the movie, which is not easy to find. Um, this is cool, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's... I would recommend people to check out Martin, because it is a... Uh, again, it's, it's... I think it's his... It's still relatable. Still relatable. It's still very depressing. Yeah. And sad. It is a very sad movie about very unhappy people and very fuck... I mean, nope. So, again, relatable. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing is, there's not one character in this movie except maybe George Romero's cameo as the priest that isn't fucked up. Yeah. Like... Uh, Christine Forrest's character, she's in a terrible relationship. She's trapped in a relationship. Yeah. I mean, she even says... Typical, sa- yeah. She says, she even says, like, I'm, like, her, at one point, her and her boyfriend leave town. And she says to her grandfather, she's like, we're not even gonna end up together. He's just my ticket out of here. And you're like, ugh. That yeah. is so depressing. <laughs> well, that's real. Yeah, it is real. And, like, but, like, this is, like, a really small-scale drama that has a little bit of horror in it, you know? Yeah. Like, and, um... And not, like I said, not like, you know, zombies or whatever. And, it, it, you know, it's a little, got some, the blood is well, so people, ridiculous. Yeah, especially nowadays, too, people are so easily done in by, like, jump scares. Right. Or, like, flashy or, like, overly gory. hmm And then you find, like, this movie, which is, like, suspenseful and scary but it's not you know i it's scary in a different way it's yeah it's, exactly it's, but that's what i mean that's why i think it's so likable yeah this one this one will sit with you afterwards like after we're done talking about this and i go mm-hmm. home and everything you're gonna think about this movie because it just it kind of like like i said when i first watched it on video i got it um record store in boston it was like on video it was like and the the person the 
family friend I was with is like, you need to get this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to own this. And I was like, okay, you know. And, and on the back of the box, it's got him holding a needle with his, you know, <laughs> with his teeth. But, like, the cover is, like, a cool, like, a razor blade with fangs, you know. Yeah. Really rad shit. Uh, but I remember wa- the first time I watched it, I was like, where's all the fucking, where, where's the scary shit, you know? Um, what the fuck? And then, like, I remember after I watched it, then I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, my God, you know? And then that's one of those, it's one of those movies that you you pick up every few years and you think about it, mm-hmm. and you put it on. And, and then last time I saw it until now was, uh, and we talked about this a few months ago, I went, it was before Cinefamily went under. Yeah. Um, apparently. Think, yeah, apparently. Well, coming back. I know, but... That's a whole other episode. But uh, yeah. before they went under, um, they were doing they were going to do a run of midnight movies. And even though this technically wasn't a midnight movie, um, one of the uh, the founders of the midnight movie craze was a producer on this. And so they showed Martin. I got to see oh, it on cool. the big screen. And uh, and just watching it again, I was just like, my God, like I'm so in love with this movie. And mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, so. That's Martin. That's uh, that's Martin. That's that's our first episode of 2018. Um, Martin. I, yeah, and I always love that too. It's like I always love mentioning, like people are like, oh, what's Martin? I'm like, well, it's the sitcom with, uh, you know, but um, Shanene and and what was it, Roscoe when he's like the little, mm-hmm. the little midget dude or little kid dude. Um, but uh, yeah, this this movie, you know, is it, I think it's it's my favorite vampire film. In a way, you know, like, uh, it, in a non-traditional yes. way, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's... It's it's also one, too, that I can see a lot of other films have pulled from. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool, because, I mean, like, it, well, as much as I said this movie doesn't get a lot of love, it does. Uh, when George Romero passed away, like, uh, Simon Pegg tweeted about it. It was mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, besides this, he also made Martin, which was a, an amazing film. And so yeah. a lot of, a lot of filmmakers were kind of reaching out being like, hey... Don't forget this movie he did. I mean, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the yeah, Dead. Yeah, that's these, good. They're great. They're awesome. But this one. But this one also is like this movie that nobody, you know, it's it's just this little tiny film and that he did, and it's a lot of love, and it was very, it was like a family project, you know. I mean, like it was like you just got a bunch of friends and family. Let's make a fucking movie. Yeah. And that's what he made, and that's a pretty rad thing. I mean, not many people can do that, and especially with the shit that's coming out these days. And I, I mean know. that. Sincerely, like I was thinking about 2018 and what's coming out, and uh, I was like, "Man, this is going to be a shitty year." <laughs> Although I do like getting like emails from Fandango being like, "Get your tickets for Black Panther," and I'm like, "Oh, right, the movie." I'm like, "Woo, what's happening?" That you're like, like, "Oh shit!" I'm like, "Fuck yeah!" Yeah, um, set it off. And then I realized that they're talking about the Marvel film, and I'm like, "Oh, but okay, still, but, but still, yes." Black Panther is a big deal. I I totally agree with you, but when you see the words Black Panther. Get your tickets for Black for Black Panther. Yeah. You're thinking something. You're thinking the revolution is here. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you're like, sign me up. Buy yeah. my ticket right now. I mean, mm. but yeah. But we have a rough year, I think, coming up. It's gonna be a mix. It, it that's how 2017 was to me. I feel like it's just a mix of like good yeah. and bad and the grandiose, you know. Yeah. So, but uh, you know, like I said, get a chance. Find Martin. Look it up on eBay. Look it up on Amazon. You know, YouTube maybe. YouTube maybe get everybody. Everybody should fucking write Richard Rubenstein a letter and be like, "Yo, dude, yeah. like Dickhead, fucking license, license this film out to fucking Arrow or because Arrow did do it at one point mm-hmm. or anybody who just fucking want. I mean, this movie needs to get out there mm-hmm. um, and uh, be seen. And and I'm glad that we watched it and uh, yeah, we will be back 
God knows, what, two weeks from now with something else? Something else spectacular, obviously. Yeah, something. I have, I have a few ideas I want to run, you know, but we'll, uh, we'll talk great. about that later. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. My name is Martin. I'm 84 years old. People think I'm crazy when I tell them how old I am. I'd like to be normal. I just have a sickness. The only way I can survive is by drinking blood. It's not easy living the way I do. I have to be careful all the time. But I'm pretty good at it. I think as I get older, I get better. I haven't been caught yet. Another kind of terror. You see, people don't understand what's wrong. They think that I'm a monster. They think I'm a vampire. Those things I see in the movies are not real. I don't have a whole lot of women. It's nice to watch them. I watch them a lot, all the time. I have to, to be sure that nothing goes wrong. I follow them. I plan. I'm very careful. I have needles now. I can use them. I can put them to sleep. And it doesn't hurt. Another kind of terror. I would like to be like everyone else. I have to do things that I don't necessarily like to do. But I want to stay alive. I do need blood. From the director of Night of the Living Dead. Martin. Another kind of terror. terror.